You know, from time to time, Cindy and I like watching these uh, shows where people are looking for homes at the beach or homes at the lake or homes in the mountains, and they usually meet with a realtor and uh, they tell the realtor what they're looking for and then they tell them their price range and then the realtor looks around for them and provides them three or four homes that they think meets their requirements and they go to these homes and each home has its perfections and imperfections and they point out the, the good things and the bad things and then after they look at about three or four of these homes, they come together and they discuss which one did we like the best, what are the pros and cons, and then they, they tell the realtor. The realtor says, oh, that's wonderful, let's put an offer down. Oh, what would you like to put down on the house? And they say, well, we would like to uh, come a little bit under the asking price. And well, you know that these shows were made back before the housing boom because now it seems like people aren't even getting below the asking price, but at the end, you know, the couple's happy and they're in their new home. Well, you know, in our text today, God refers to the church as a great house. A great house that's not perfect because it has some things that are not useful, but it has things that are useful as well. And so God wants us to make sure that we are useful vessels, useful things in God's house. We're in this series in Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter, and he's writing, of course, from a Roman prison. He's about to be executed. It's his last will and testament to his disciple to encourage Timothy not to be fearful or timid in the challenges that he has before him as a pastor in Ephesus. And he exhorts him to fan into flame the gift that God has given him to be a pastor, to guard the deposit of the gospel that he's been entrusted with. And Paul tells him at the beginning of chapter 2, that he's to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ and that he is to entrust those things that he has learned to other leaders who will in turn teach others. And then he gives a series of metaphors to describe the commitment that he has to have to Christ and the gospel and what it's to look like. He is to be dedicated like a soldier or like an athlete or like a farmer in his duties. And he's to remember who Christ is and the gospel. He's called to suffer and to endure. And Paul remembered or reminded him that the word of God does not return void. It's not bound. It will bear fruit in the hearts of the elect. And then he gives another metaphor which Pastor Tim covered a couple weeks ago of a worker who rightly handles the word of truth. As a worker with the word of God, he is to avoid irreverent babble of false teachers and those who have left the faith, but to be assured that God knows who are his and they will stand firm because God's foundation is in them. And the true believers will remain true to the word and to Jesus and depart from iniquity. But then... In today's text, he introduces this new metaphor of a great house. He uses this metaphor to encourage Timothy and all believers to continue to be a vessel 
for honorable use in God's house. So follow along as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. This is the word of God. He is speaking to us through his word this morning. Now in a great house there are only two vessels of gold, or only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Thus far the reading of God's word. We're going to see in this text today that since Timothy and all believers are set apart by God to be honorable vessels in God's great house, they must be active in fleeing certain things and pursuing other things. And they must respond to false teachers and people who stir up controversy to emulate Jesus Christ in their dealings with them. They must Leave it to God to bring these people to repentance and to rescue them from the devil's hold. In verse 20, Paul begins by referring to this great house. This great house is the church. The church, the visible church, is made up of all those who profess faith in Christ and their children. Now we know that in the visible church there are those who profess faith in Christ who are true believers And there are those who profess faith in Christ who don't have true faith in Christ. They are those who say they believe in the Lord Jesus, but they have never been born again. And they do not show themselves to be bearing fruit in their lives. And so Jesus also stated the same thing in Matthew chapter 13. He said that in the visible church there would be wheat and tares or wheat and weeds and they couldn't be separated until the end when Christ returns. In this great house there are vessels. Now this word for vessel means instrument and it's likely referring to articles in the, in the, in the, the house that hold things like vases, like like pots and pans and plates and goblets and glasses. The gold and silver ones are used for honorable purposes of serving food and drinking. But the the wood and the clay ones were used for dishonorable uses, such as containers for garbage and waste. And he's telling Timothy this so that he is not surprised that there are these Two different kinds of vessels within the church. And it's an explanation for why false teachers, 
some arise from in, within the church and, and there is hypocrisy within the church. Well, after reminding Timothy of this, he follows it with verse 21, therefore. In other words, this is the response to that reality, Timothy, that there are some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. He continues, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so the first point that I believe God wants us to see from our text is the making of a vessel for honorable use. The making of a vessel for honorable use. How does someone make sure they are a vessel for honorable use? It says they must cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable. Paul is talking here about conscious, willful cleansing of oneself. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, their heart has been changed. They've been regenerated. They've been born again. They repent and they believe in Jesus Christ. They receive Christ's righteousness imputed to their account. They're forgiven of all their sins and they've been united to Christ. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been permanently set apart to be holy like the Lord. This is the initial work of God's grace in a person's heart. But then, that person who is filled with the Holy Spirit must now cooperate with the Holy Spirit to grow in holiness. As Paul says in Philippians 2, 12, that we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, working out the salvation we've received already by grace. And he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this cleansing from what is dishonorable will be evidence that they are vessels for honorable use in God's house. And Paul elaborates on what this cleansing produces. We will live consecrated lives, lives that are set apart as holy. And that means we will seek to conduct ourselves by seeking to conform our lives to God's will in His law. We will seek to be pure, not just in our conduct, but in our thinking and in our doctrine, since he has been talking about the dangers of false teaching. They will be useful to the master of the house. Who is the master of the house? God is the master of His house. And so believers will look for ways to serve the master of the house. And then we will be ready for every good work. Pastors, all believers, are to maintain this proper sense of readiness to do good, to use our abilities and gifts for the benefit of others as instruments of service in God's hands. You know, in my generation and in the generations before me, uh, when you got married, you got China. And you got uh, silver utensils and you got crystal goblets for those special occasions. Well, God is saying here, all believers are like that china and that silver and crystal. We are all set apart to be ready to be used at all times. Well, the master of the house lays down one condition. These vessels must be clean. What does it mean to cleanse oneself from dishonorable use. 
so that we might be holy, useful, and ready for every good work. Well, pastors, teachers, officers, all believers must be aware of their tendency to sin and to be tempted to sin. It involves praying that the Lord would point out our sins and that every day we would practice confessing our sins, specific sins, and repenting of those sins. It means not allowing the sins of others to influence you. And Paul was particularly thinking about the false teachers, their false doctrines that also led to sin. And so this is how we are to cleanse ourselves. We are to be aware of how we can sin and be led into sin. Well, this leads us to Paul's next emphasis, and that is point number two, the maintaining of a vessel for honorable use. Paul here gives a double command in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We have two imperatives here, two commands, flee and pursue. To continue to be an honorable, useful vessel for the Lord, we must regularly practice fleeing. Now that word flee is the same verb that's used by the angel When the angel tells Joseph and Mary to flee into Egypt because of Herod's murderous ways, it communicates this sense of urgency and danger. We're to flee as far away as possible and as quickly as possible. Now, we're familiar with Paul's exhortation to flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18, and to flee from idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, and I think that's what's implied here, but it's broader than that. He says, flee youthful passions. What's he talking about here? He's talking about youthful temperament or headstrong passions of youth. And I think the following context indicates what some of these youthful desires are. It's wanting to argue in foolish controversies. It's being quarrelsome. It's having pride. It's having unrighteous anger. It's being impulsive. It's lashing out. It's being harsh. It's being impatient with people. It's writing people off as hopeless. Well, Timothy is, as a true minister, and all of us as disciples of Christ are to flee these youthful passions. But then Paul says, being a vessel for honorable use means pursuing other things. Pursuing these virtues of righteousness, faith, love, and peace. That word pursue means to make an all-out effort to reach a goal. It means to run after. So what are we to run after? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness means Pursuing holiness, pursuing God's law out of a love for God and love for one's neighbor. It's ethical conduct that glorifies God. What is faith? Faith is humble reliance and confidence in God and His Word. It's trusting in His sovereign and loving purposes for His people. It's being confident in what God has provided for us 
in Christ, believing that he gives power and grace to enable us to do his will. What is love? Well, God is love. We're given a definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, but we're told that we love because God first loved us. Love is expressed in what Christ did for us, laying his life down for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we are to have a deep personal commitment and affection for God and then for all of his people, even when people sin against us. We are to have a benevolent interest in even those who oppose God and his gospel. And then peace. Peace is contentment and satisfaction. The satisfaction of knowing that God is your heavenly Father, that you have salvation in Christ. It's the harmony that comes from knowing Jesus is with you always. He will never forsake you. You have confidence of His steadfast love and His faithfulness in all stages of life. And peace with God compels us to be peacemakers with others for His glory. But I want you to notice something very important at the end of verse 22. Paul says we're to pursue these virtues along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul is telling Timothy, and he's telling all of us here, that we cannot pursue these virtues on our own. We need the body of Christ. Isn't it beautiful how he, how he defines believers? He says, all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see, believers are those who have received a new heart, a new nature. We want to love God. We want to please Him. That's what is meant by pure. It's not talking about perfect. We are not perfect yet. But we have this new disposition. We want to follow the Lord. We have a pure heart. And we're in union with Christ. And we have called upon the Lord to forgive us, to be our Lord and Savior, and we continue to call upon Him. We continue to depend upon Him. We need Him for life and for power. And so we need to be around other believers that do the same thing, that call upon the Lord, that have these same pure hearts. We need accountability in the household of God. These virtues are to be pursued and cultivated in the company of fellow believers in God's house. Well, Paul's given instruction about the making and maintenance of being a vessel for honorable use. And now in this last section, point number three, in verses 23 through 26, we see God showing us the ministry, the ministry of a vessel for honorable use. Paul now shows Timothy how he as a vessel in God's great house should conduct himself with others, particularly false teachers and those who attempt to bring controversy into the church. He says in verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. He's referring to the teaching of these false teachers who have espoused unbiblical views. Now Paul clearly is willing to argue when the gospel is at stake, when sound doctrine is at stake, but what he's prohibiting here is meaningless arguments with false teachers that bring up fictitious 
false speculations, going beyond Scripture. He says, have nothing to do with those kinds of controversies because they only lead to more controversy and they only lead to arguments. Timothy must have been tempted in this area to be embroiled in these mundane, foolish arguments. Paul says then in verse 24 and the first half of verse 25, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God does not want pastors, officers, teachers, and all believers to be quarrelsome, which we can easily do. We can be drawn into a quarrel. Now, if Timothy, who's in his 30s, who's been discipled by the great Apostle Paul, needs to be warned about these things, don't you think we all need to be warned about them? Far too often we're drawn into an argument and a quarrel. God wants us instead to be Christ-like. He wants us to be kind to others. That word kind is the word mild. Paul used the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 when he described just as a nursing mother cares for his children, we're to care for others and be kind to them. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1.5 that the aim of our instruction or charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So we're to be patient, even when enduring evil. And we're to correct our opponents with gentleness, never with put-downs. Only gentle correction. We must be forbearing And God is really showing us here the character of Jesus Christ. This is how we ought to treat one another, the way Jesus treats us. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul wrote, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. How did Jesus describe himself, his heart? He is gentle and lowly. He's meek. So he's instructing us essentially to be Christ-like. See, holding the right position in an argument never justifies betraying the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus was kind. Jesus was skillful in his teaching, patient and gentle with all those that he taught. He didn't retaliate. He was meek. And you see, that's the kind of life that we are to have as we present the gospel to people, as we Gently instruct those who are in error. The final sentence in the second half of verse 25 through verse 26 expresses the hope, the desire of an honorable vessel, a servant of Christ, for the enemies of Christ, for those who uh, are teaching false doctrines, those who are in sin. Our hope is to be this. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here we learn what's behind those who are false teachers or those who are being influenced by false teaching. It's the devil. And we forget that Satan has non-believers captured by his lies, and they're under his control to do his will. 
And, they, and Satan can sometimes beguile believers into error as well. And it's God who must change people's minds and hearts. He is the one who grants repentance. You see, sometimes we think all we need to come up with is a good argument to convince someone of their error, to convince someone of their need for Jesus Christ. Well, yes, we need to come up with a good argument, but behind that is their hearts need to change. They're prideful. Their hearts are, their hearts are hard. And so a good argument doesn't do the trick. What God must do is to change their hearts, to give them the gift of repentance. And so in the end here, Paul is telling Timothy and all believers the making, the maintenance, and ministry of being honorable vessels in God's house. So what, you might ask? How does this impact the way I should live and think. Well, let me give you four application points from this text. The first one is, we must ask ourselves, what kind of vessel am I in God's house? Are you an honorable vessel or are you a dishonorable vessel? Jesus warned that there would be weeds among the wheat. He warned that not everyone who calls him Lord, Lord are believers are true Christians. In the end, he may say to some, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, the Bible tells us that we are born with a sinful nature. We're born separated from God because of our sin. We're separated because we disobey his commandments, because we are not holy. God demands absolute righteousness and holiness but we fall short. The laws, his laws show us how we fall short. He's also absolutely just. He must judge and punish all sin in hell. And furthermore, the Bible says that we are spiritually dead apart from God's grace. We cannot produce true faith and true repentance because we are blind. We are slaves to sin and the devil apart from grace. And that's why God must do it all. He must deliver us out of that slavery and give us a new heart. And he must provide for us perfect righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. And of course, he did this through the sending of his son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who came to this earth and took on human flesh and a human nature without sin, yet remaining God. Why? In order to provide for us what we could not do ourselves, to provide for us perfect righteousness. Jesus came to fulfill all of God's commandments perfectly from the heart in order to impute that record of righteousness to the account of those he came to, to save and who would believe in him. But he also came to take on the record of our sins, our debt. He took that debt on his body, on the tree, on the cross. He received the judgment and the punishment that we deserved through his suffering, through his bleeding and his dying on the cross. Right before he died, he said, it is finished, meaning the debt is paid in full for those he came to die for who would believe in him. And then he rose from the dead on the third day, proving that this transaction took place and was accepted by the Father, proving that he was indeed God, the Messiah, and that he 
had victory over the devil and death and sin for us. And so when God gives someone a new heart, when he causes them to be born again, they recognize their sin and their depravity and God's holiness, and they turn from their sin and they trust in who Christ is and what he did alone for their salvation. And they're declared righteous. They're forgiven of all their sins. They're brought into fellowship with God. They're given the gift of eternal life. They're adopted into God's family. They're set apart to be holy like Christ. And so I ask you, is that what has happened to you? Have you been saved? Have you been set apart to be holy? That's what happens to someone when they they become an honorable vessel in God's house. If that has happened to you, then you will have a desire to follow what God tells you in this text. To cleanse yourself. To flee youthful passions. To pursue these virtues of righteousness, love, faith, and peace. And to ask God to show you where you may be guilty of following youthful passions in your relations with others. And so, ask Him. Is that your desire? Is that your heart's desire? Have, have you ever desired that? If you have never desired the things that an honorable vessel desires, then you aren't an honorable vessel yet. But you can be. If God is at work in your heart and you cry out to Him and you confess your sins and you ask Him to change your heart and to give you the gift of repentance and faith, He won't deny that kind of prayer if it's done with sincerity. But the second application point is be who you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, you are a vessel for God's honorable use in His church And God has given you particular gifts and abilities to benefit others. You're an instrument in His hands. You each have a role to play within the body of Christ. Be who you are. Because you are a new person in Christ. Live accordingly. Live like an honorable vessel in service to the Master. Prepared for good works. And that leads us to the third application point that we must ask ourselves. Am I involved in the double duty of being a vessel for honorable use? Are you constantly examining your heart and life? Asking God to show you where you might be committing youthful passions, submitting to sin in your life. Ask God to show you where you may be succumbing to these sins and give you the gift of repentance and faith. As I was preparing this message God pointed out some of these in my life that I need to repent of. And I've prayed, Lord, help me to recognize these. Help me to flee from them now and next time. That ought to be happening in our lives regularly. But also, we need to be involved in pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Seeking the opposite of these youthful passions. What are the opposites? Sexual purity. Worshiping Christ alone, not looking to other idols, but finding our satisfaction in Him. Being patient, being kind, being gentle with those who disagree with us. Seeking to gently correct those from God's Word. 
And that leads to our final application. Where do I get these qualities? Where do I get these virtues of righteousness, faith, love, and peace? Where do I find the ability not to be quarrelsome and to be kind and to be gentle? Well, you get it from repentance and faith in Jesus and your union with Him. Remember how Paul began this chapter. He said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must humble ourselves and look to the grace that's only found in Jesus Christ. We must repent of our lack of concern for these things and ask God to point out to us where we have sinned and give us the grace to repent of those sins and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, that we have righteousness in Christ, we have forgiveness in Christ, and we have the benefits of being in union with Christ. What does that mean? Christ was the ultimate honorable vessel in God's house. Christ was the ultimate servant in God's house, the perfect one. And we are in union with Him. And therefore, we have the ability to, by faith, appropriate those characteristics because we are one with Christ. As we call upon Him, He will fill us with these virtues and enable us more and more in ever-increasing ways to pursue and be more and more like Christ in the way that we relate to others. All of this is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and He uses the Word of God, prayer, and the sacraments to give us that grace. And so this is a wonderful segue to the Lord's Supper. Because this is one of the ways that the Lord fills us afresh with these virtues that we need to live as vessels of honor, honorable vessels in his household. So please pray with me. Lord, thank you for teaching us today what it means to be honorable vessels in your household. Oh Lord, thank you for making us honorable vessels. I pray, Lord, for those who may not be sure if they are or not, that you would even today bring them to faith and repentance, trusting in you, that you would set them apart for holy use. Lord, thank you for this table and for what it represents. Help us to prepare to sup with you, to feed upon you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.